But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false. Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of Bad Red, Bad Blue. As always, I am your host, Jeff Schaefer. Want to go ahead and start off this episode by pointing out that I am recording this on Friday, April 28th, 2023, at right around 10 p.m. Eastern Time in the United States. You will get used to me clarifying the date just simply because it takes me a few days to get these produced and released, so, wow, this guy isn't caught up on modern news. I heard about this stuff days ago, and that's because you did. So before getting into this episode, I do need to make a clarification from the last episode about independence and independent representation in our government. And at one point I was talking about how here in Ohio, if I wanted to run as an independent candidate for the House of Representatives, they made it much more difficult than they do for a Republican or a Democrat. And the example that I gave is that a Republican or Democrat only needs 50 signatures on the petition. That's it. And then you just pay the $85 filing fee and you're good to go. You're on the ballot. However, an independent needs 1% of the count of votes from the last significant election, so the ones that happen every two years. So I was thinking that I was going to need something like, I don't remember exactly, but around 650 signatures versus the 50 signatures needed for Republicans or Democrats in the example that I wanted to try and run for House of Representatives as an independent. Not going to do that, but if I did. But that was incorrect math, which I have now discovered. I want to make sure I correct that so that I'm always accurate and factual on this podcast. So what happened was I was looking at the total number of votes in my county, not in my district. Turns out I would actually need around close to 2,800 signatures, so significantly more than I thought. Like more than four times more than I was thinking, even when I thought it was already ridiculously unfair. If you have not listened to that episode, I would encourage you to go do so, especially since we found out that 49% of Americans consider themselves independent, despite having zero representation in our federal government. I'll let you go listen. I'm not going to go down all of that road again. Also, if you are a fan of the podcast, please make sure that you hit subscribe or follow or whatever the option is for the platform you are listening on, so that way you are notified when new content comes out. I've been cranking these out pretty quickly, almost weekly, if not maybe a little more than weekly right now. Now, that pace may slow down a little bit. My goal was two a month, but I'm really enjoying this podcast right now, so I'm on kind of a roll, but it also isn't scheduled. Like, it's not just coming out every Monday at noon or whatever. So make sure to hit that subscribe button so you know exactly when a new episode is available, and also don't forget, you can go follow me on social media on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, at Bad Red, Bad Blue. Bad Red, Bad Blue. Feel free to tell me if you disagree with anything that I brought up, if you think that I am misrepresenting or misstating something, if you have ideas for show topics moving forward. I do have a slew of topic ideas, so that's not going to be an issue in the immediate future, but I'm always more than happy to hear what you guys would like me to research and discuss. So, as always, we will start the episode with the segment Media Schmedia. Media Schmedia. Media Schmedia. Media Schmedia. 
And this is where I take a look at some of the recent headlines from the larger news conglomerate websites. So let's start with Fox News. Now, this was not the very first headline, but it was in the top slew of headlines on their homepage. The headline is AI banned from running nuclear missile systems under bipartisan bill. AI being artificial intelligence, which I'm sure you're all hearing about the crazy advancements in in just recent memory. Now, keep in mind, this is just a proposed bill, not already a rule. What the hell is wrong with our government that this is not automatic? Why do we not just no, yeah, you know, AI, we're not going to allow them to control nuclear missile systems. So now they have to slate a bill and how much of our taxpayer dollars are going to go towards committees and hearings just to institute the obvious. That is so stupid. But that's what happens with a two-party system of people who are constantly trying to figure out ways to not get anything done and avoiding common sense. All right, let's look at a headline on MSNBC. Now, this was their top headline. We all know MSNBC, very left-leaning, very liberal agenda. They do not hide it at all. So, of course, they're first headline today is about Trump, in a negative way, of course, additionally about the Capitol insurrection. So the headline reads, Trump's embrace of a January 6th defendant sets a dangerous precedent. So I'm not going to get into all the details of the article. I didn't read it that closely. I just kind of skimmed through it. But Trump was visiting somewhere on his campaign trail and came across this woman that had been convicted after the January 6th insurrection. And he gave her a hug and let her know everything was going to be okay. Okay. And MSNBC is saying this sets a dangerous precedent. But I don't think so. I mean, this sounds very Trump-like. There's nothing about this that is news. And let's also point out that this woman was convicted of resisting police orders to clear the area during the insurrection. So the police were telling her, you need to get out of here. Didn't really specify, was she in the Capitol building? Was she just on the Capitol grounds, which she has a right to be? So she was convicted of resisting police orders. She was given 100 180 days in jail. And I thought, you know, that kind of seems like a lot just for not listening to orders from the police. So I was like, what is the standard sentence for resisting arrest? Because that would have to be way more than 180 days because if they're trying to arrest you and you're resisting, well, I mean, obviously that's a much bigger offense than just resisting orders. But actually resisting arrest only carries a maximum sentence of 90 days in jail. And then I believe a $750 fine, if I remember correctly. So maybe the people setting a bad precedent is our federal legal system for trying to make an example out of just about anybody they could that was even remotely present on January 6th because Trump hugging this lady, I don't, there's no bad precedent there. That's just Trump being Trump. All right, so now let's look at a headline on CNN.com. And I will say that going into creating and starting this podcast, I was pretty much under the impression that CNN, MSNBC, pretty much every news organization was very left-leaning. Fox News, very right-leaning. There was nothing even remotely centrist. And I've actually come to find that CNN, while yes, they are still more or less left-leaning, I've been pretty impressed with the fact that they are a little bit more rooted in news and facts and not just agenda-driven propaganda. doesn't mean they never are, but I just wanted to give a tip of the hat to CNN because they've impressed me as I've dug through a variety of things in show prep for these first three episodes. So here's the first headline on the CNN.com website. Law from 1873 could end availability to the abortion pill. All right, here we go again with common sense in our legislative branch of the government. How does any law law 
from 1873. Hold on, let me think the math. So 150 years ago, sounds right. But anything, any law from that long ago should have zero impact on anything happening now, especially more controversial modern issues. And this 1873 law was called the Comstock Act, and the whole purpose of it was geared at banning the mailing of contraceptives, lewd materials, and drugs that induce abortions. So it was more about things going through the mail, not only just about drugs to induce abortions. Let's not forget that when the Comstock Act was put into place in 1873, women were not even allowed to vote, nor did the Constitution protect against sex discrimination. So it was a very completely different time and has zero, zero relevance to 2023. Our government is a bunch of morons. Quite frankly, we're a bunch of morons for letting them do this constantly, for letting them never accomplish anything and continuing to revote them into office. All right, lastly in Media Schmedia, I want to look at social media, which I have not done in any of the previous episodes. So I'm not looking at actual headlines here. I was curious how often are these news outlets posting things? Let's we're just looking at Twitter on this one. Because the fact is news is supposed to be news. It's supposed to be interesting. It's supposed to be holy crap. I didn't know about that and I needed to know about that. We know that's not the case because they have to fill the cycle. They have to get the clicks. They have to outclick the other news outlets. So they are constantly jamming anything and everything down our throats, same stories, just with a different spin. So all I did was go and count the number of tweets in the last 24 hours. So first, let's look at Biden's Twitter account, the POTUS account, which has posted eight tweets in the last 24 hours. Now, that's still a lot coming from a presidential account, also coming from a man who probably doesn't really even know what a retweet is. We all know he's not the one actually posting anything to his social media. And I'm not just holding that against Biden. I mean, Trump was an exception because he was unhinged and liked to just post the craziest shit. But I guarantee you just about any president in this day and age that will be elected will have someone that is more or less running their social media the same way that our elected officials have other people writing speeches for them that they're reading off of teleprompters. They're not writing their own speeches. So anyway, eight tweets from Biden in the last 24 hours. Let's look at MSNBC. In the last 24 hours, 59 tweets tweets. That's a lot of tweets. It's a lot of supposed news to force down the throats of the people who are following you. Guarantee you there has not been 59 significant things that have happened in the last 24 hours that you need to tweet about. Again, I didn't drill down. I didn't look at the content of these tweets. I was just scrolling, counting, scrolling, counting. So reminder, let's look at the tally. Biden, eight tweets. MSNBC, 59 tweets. Let's look at CNN. In the last 24 hours, CNN has posted 121 tweets. Wow. I'm surprised that MSNBC is looking pretty conservative in their posting. Not the nature of their posts, not conservative like Republican, conservative as in not nearly as many. In fact, less than half, barely, but yes. So now we're supposed to believe that CNN has 121 interesting and newsworthy posts from just the last 24 hours. Finally, let's look at Fox News. 
I mean, certainly they can't be worse than 121 tweets in one day. No, actually, they're way worse. As a matter of fact, I stopped counting after I got to the nine-hour mark. So things that had happened in the last nine hours, they had posted 124 tweets. That's three more tweets than CNN posted in the last 24 hours, and they did it all in just the last nine hours. That is ridiculous. So if you're still under the impression that news outlets are there to serve you important and relevant necessary information, i.e., news, you are mistaken. And what would you call an outlet that calls themselves a news outlet, but isn't actually giving you news the majority of the time? Well, that would be a propaganda machine or, you know, just a bunch of gossip. Don't worry. In a future episode, I will absolutely be doing a more deep dive specifically into media, social media, the agendas, diving more deeply into the actual content of the articles, the repetition of similar articles with just a slightly different spin. Or even looking at opposing articles like MSNBC says this about this topic and Fox News says this about the same topic. And let's see how they spin it in the way that is appealing to their readership or viewership. I think that will be a very interesting episode and look forward to it because I hate the media. I also hate social media. Yes, I do have a social media account. Well, I have multiple because I have, you know, the media accounts for Bad Red, Bad Blue. I have the media accounts for my comedy podcast, Jeff Becomes Jeff. I have media accounts for my music. I am a musician, so I have that. But I only really use social media to promote the different creative outlets that I engage in, like podcasting or music. I don't use it to show people what I had for lunch today. Or look at these 14 different selfies I took this week that all look the same because I'm holding the camera at the same angle. All right, I'm going down a road. I'll save it for later. But no, don't like social media. All right, so let's dive into our topic. The Electoral College, i.e. your vote doesn't count. Well, doesn't necessarily count. Government will tell you, you got to get out and vote. Every vote counts. No, it doesn't. And I'm going to do the math for you later. And you're going to be like, holy shit, Jeff's right. A lot of votes aren't counting. That could be my vote. So I assume the majority of my listenership to this podcast, by the way, I do want to give a shout out to the areas that have actually already tuned in to just the first two episodes. They've just found me organically, I guess. But I've actually had a pretty decent reach so far to other countries outside of the United States. Guess what? All governments pretty fucked up. So the things I'm saying more specific to America, I'm sure to an extent they apply to the governments outside of these borders. But I've had listens in Brussels, Dublin, Ireland, London, and Tijuana so far. So hoping that reach extends further. Also had several major cities in the United States, so I appreciate that. Please also, if you do enjoy this podcast, please share the podcast with people on your social media, that darned social media, or just tell people about it when you're talking politics. Politics, over the water cooler or with your family or your friends. Hey, go check this guy out. It's pretty educational. I enjoy it. Maybe you will too. But getting off that tangent, I assume the majority of my listeners, knowing that this is a kind of political news-driven podcast, probably also pay attention to other news and politics. So, gonna guess, majority of you understand what the Electoral College is, at least from a high-level perspective. Regardless, I'm gonna start out with a high-level overview, just to be as informed 
informative as possible. So, in a nutshell, the Electoral College is a formal body that elects the President and Vice President of the United States. Each state has a different amount of electoral votes based on the total number of its senators and House representatives. So, for example, in Ohio, we have 16 districts, so 16 House of Representatives members. We have two senators, just like every other state, which means that we have 18 electoral votes here in Ohio. Now, when looking through these basics of the Electoral College, I will say that I was initially confused because I'm like, well, wait a minute, there's only 535 seats in Congress that would be composed of all House of Representatives and all senators, but there are 538 electoral votes. So I was like, well, where did these other three votes come from? Well, Washington, D.C., despite not being a state, they still get electoral votes. Not totally sure how I feel about that, but we'll discuss that a little more in detail later. So basically what it boils down to in one of our major presidential elections is that the total number of electoral votes, well, the majority, determines the winner of the presidential election. You need 270 electoral votes in order to win. And essentially, this does eliminate the idea of the popular vote. That would be every vote counting. Now, that overview might seem very cut and dry and simple, but there is a lot more to it, so we're going to dive in, and let's just start at the beginning. When and why did the Electoral College start in America? So let's go back to 1787. This would have been 11 years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and less than 100 years before the Comstock Act, which they're now trying to use to regulate abortion pills. But in 1787, it was suggested that Congress should elect the president, not the people. But there was concern that this would kind of not allow for a separation of power, and so it was pretty much shot down. And then a guy, James Wilson, one of our founding fathers, suggested the idea of electors choosing the president, despite the fact that he actually preferred the idea of the popular vote, along with many other people in this deciding committee, I guess. And the main reason everybody finally said, all right, let's go with the electoral approach versus the popular vote is because they decided that it would be very difficult to get a consensus from all states on a popular vote methodology due to slavery being very prevalent in the South at the time. Again, not really relevant today, despite the fact that we still have the Electoral College, but just diving into what their thoughts were and why that issue of slavery could impede upon the popular vote. Let's look at what I found from the records of the federal convention in the Library of Congress. And I quote, There was one difficulty, however, of a serious nature attending an immediate choice by the people. The right of suffrage was much more diffusive in the northern than the southern states, and the latter could have no influence in the election on the score of Negroes. The substitution of electors obviated this difficulty and seemed on the whole to be liable to the fewest objections. All right, that sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook, but basically saying the population of women and blacks didn't really offer a fair popular vote approach because, well, they weren't allowed to vote. And if you don't know what suffrage is, that's basically a woman's right to vote, which at the time they didn't have. Another interesting fact is back then at the time, the president did not choose a running mate and campaign. There were just a bunch of people that said, I think I can be the president and they would try and get the votes. 
And then the vice president was actually decided by the Electoral College. What? Which I think is a fantastic idea. Like, for example, in 1796, John Adams of the Federalist Party became president, and then Thomas Jefferson from the Democratic-Republican Party, the runner-up in vote counts, became his vice president. So your president and vice president were of two different parties and ideologies. That actually makes a lot of sense. A hell of a lot more sense than this current, let's try and get a monopoly between Congress and the presidential and vice presidential seats so we can have all the power. It is not a democracy. That is not a republic. But going back to the original establishment of the Electoral College, in the event of a tie, the House of Representatives would decide who the winner was out of the top five candidates. Wait, the top five? Holy crap, that would be awesome. You know, a lot better than our current two. So going back to kind of what I was just discussing with John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, when I was doing this research, you know, I came across the fact that our country is considered a Republican democracy. So both words pretty much sum up the core tenets and ideologies of our governmental system. Yet somehow these two words have been splintered and used to represent two completely different sets of ideologies. That's weird. Also not sure when the whole elephant and donkey thing came into play. I'll look that up for a future episode, but that's also equally stupid. Now, when the framers of the Constitution decided to do this with the Electoral College, none of them had anticipated the establishment of two established parties that came about pretty quickly in the following years. And as I mentioned, those were known as the Democratic-Republican Party and the Federalist Party. And actually in George Washington's 1796 farewell address as outgoing president, he begged the public to avoid creating parties and argued that every current government had political parties that sought power and took revenge on political opponents. Does that sound familiar? He also felt that disagreements between political parties weakened the idea of government. Also, sounds very familiar. It's actually a little crazy and even a little creepy how insightful George Washington was hundreds of years ago. More like George Nostradamus. Another thing the framers of the Constitution never anticipated when they instilled the Electoral College was that people would start running or campaigning for president. That's kind of not how it was originally. It was just like, yes, I would like to run. I'm nominating myself or I don't know. I didn't look that exact process up. But within only a few years of ratifying the Constitution to make the Electoral College a thing, political parties and running for president both became very typical. So there you go. That's the background, the history of the creation and the early years of the Electoral College being in place in America. Man, I really hate the word electoral, so if at any time in this episode it sounds like I'm slurring when I'm trying to say it, it's because it's not the easiest word to say, especially when you're saying it a multitude of times. And I don't feel like going electoral every time I say it to truly enunciate. So now let's look at the popular vote. In the history of America since the Electoral College was instituted, there have actually only been four presidents elected by the Electoral College that didn't also have the popular vote. That would have been in 1876, 1888, more recently in 2000 and 2016. So honestly, if you're a Democrat, if you're a liberal, you should absolutely want to abolish the Electoral College because that's what allowed Bush to beat Gore and Trump to beat 
Hillary, all in just the last 23 years. That's only six presidential elections ago, or rather within those last six elections. And let's be honest, the only way to ensure that every vote actually counts is with the popular vote majority. Otherwise, every vote does not count. Again, I'm going to show you math on that later. So now we're going to talk about something called gerrymandering. I know, very weird word. Sounds like the name of a local insurance salesman. But this is actually one word, begins with a G. I'm not going to spell the whole thing for you. But I have heard this term before. I wasn't really sure what it was. I'm going to be honest with you. I had to look this up. So what I found on changetherules.org, which I'm paraphrasing, and I can only imagine changetherules.org is pro-popular vote because they want to change the rules, so can't get guarantee that there's not a slew of bias in this statement, or at least the non-factual components, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. Gerrymandering establishes a political advantage for a particular party by manipulating state electoral district boundaries. All right, that doesn't sound good. Only 24 of 435 congressional districts, that's 5%, were considered competitive in 2016. So that would have been when Trump beat Hillary. If you voted in one of the 411 out of 435, mind you, non-competitive districts, the outcome was predetermined. Your vote didn't matter. What? So they're basically saying that through this process of gerrymandering, if a county or district is just assumed to be very firmly red or very firmly blue, they predetermined the outcome for a specific party. Didn't really even take into account any of the votes in that district. That's messed up. And this website is saying that that's 95% of our districts. I mean, that seems a little crazy. Probably should have researched this a little more. Again, I'm not standing behind numbers or statements from websites. I'm just telling you what I found. So I wanted to go kind of find something from a website that was against the popular vote. And I found this on heritage.org. If the electoral college was eliminated, the power to elect the president would rest solely in the hands of a few of our largest states and cities, greatly diminishing the voice of the smaller populated states. So let's go ahead and look at the electoral college counts versus the actual population. So we can figure out if this is a fair process. You would think that the amount of electoral votes for a state or an area should reflect equally with the population percentage of that area or state. Now, also remember that Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, was given three electoral votes in the 60s, despite not being a state. And basically, the rule was something along the lines that D.C., with their population, should be given the same amount of electoral votes as the smallest state's amount of electoral votes. There are four states that have three electoral votes, the same as Washington, D.C. That would be Delaware, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming. So let's look at the populations of those states or areas. Washington, D.C. has a population of 712,816 people. Wyoming, 578,803, even less for the entire state. North Dakota, 774,948, not much more. And South Dakota, 895,376. Again, still not a big jump over D.C. I actually thought I was going to be very annoyed by Washington, D.C. D.C. being given these three electoral votes, being that they are a non-state, and seems like, well, we know where those electoral votes are going. Blue! 
But I will say that after doing this little research, it actually kind of makes sense to me based on a populative, I hope that's a word, but a population count. Let's just stick with that. That seems safer. So let's look at my state, Ohio. In Ohio, we have a population of 11.75 million people. Let's compare that to the whole country, at least the documented citizens, the ones that should be allowed to vote. We have 334,233,854 documented citizens. Now, in Ohio, based on that calculation, we have 3.5% of the national population. However, if you look at our electoral vote count versus the total, we only have 3.1% power toward the overall electorate vote. That's not even. It's close but it's not even. Let's look at California. So California has 39 million residents. They also have 54 electoral votes. That's a lot. Doing the math, that means California has 11.7% of the total U.S. population. However, with their 54 electoral votes, they have 15.1% electorate power. That's a pretty significant difference. That's giving them a lot more power as a state in the electoral college than they would actually have from a popular vote perspective. And once again, we know where California's going. Blue! Just like we know pretty much where Ohio is going. Red! Let's look at Florida, another typically red state for the most part. They have 22.6 million residents and 30 electoral votes. That would give them 6.8% of the national national population, but only 5.6% of electoral power. Again, not very even. Now I'm starting to see a correlation where, well, a blue state like California having so much more electoral power, and so far all the typically red states I've read off having less electoral power compared to their populative, uh, why do I keep using that word, based on their population, starting to see why maybe the liberals might actually want to stick with the electoral college. Let's look at Texas, another big state, and another typically red state. They have 30 million people living in their state and 40 electoral votes. They have 9% of the U.S. population, but only 7.4% electoral power. Again, another instance where a typically red state is getting the shaft in the electoral college. All right, let's look at New York. We know that's always a blue state, so let's see if we start to see this trend continue. New York state has 19.51 million people with 28 electoral votes. That's 5.8% of the population, but 7.8% electorate power. And it just seems really odd that the Electoral College continues to seem to favor Democratic and blue states, but oddly enough, they're the ones that were impacted in recent years by the Electoral College screwing them out of the popular vote. Don't know why. I don't know much, but I know I don't love the Electoral College. That may be all I need to know. All right, that was stupid. All right, let's look at the state of Washington, not Washington, D.C. 7.8 million people in Washington, 12 electoral votes, 2.3% of the population with 3.3% of the electorate. I don't really know how Washington leans. Seattle is there, so I'm going to guess very blue, and that would make sense given that that state has more electoral power than they have a populative representation. Why do I keep using that 
word. I'm going to look this up, see if that's a word. If it is, I'm going to ding myself throughout this episode whenever I use it. If it's not a correct usage, I'm going to buzz myself. So you'll understand why you're hearing dings or buzzes whenever you hear populative. Let's look at Maryland. They have 6.15 million people, 10 electoral votes. That would be 1.8% of the population and 2.8% of the electorate. Didn't look up how Maryland typically falls. Gonna guess blue based on the trending. Let's see if I ding myself on that when I look this up after during the production part of this episode. But look, the math doesn't lie. It does not add up. Your vote typically only has so much weight because each vote in every single state is not actually considered. And that could be your vote not being considered because of the Electoral College. And that website that I read from earlier that says that, you know, the smaller population areas are getting screwed and that the big cities and big states with the high populations are the one driving everything. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Because as we saw, the entire state of South Dakota, North Dakota, Wyoming, Delaware, they're all getting the same equal amount of electoral votes as Washington, D.C., not even a state. Yes, I know we saw the numbers are pretty similar in population, but not necessarily equal in demographic and geographic representation. We all know there's different pockets of the country that have a different shared ideology. And that's okay. That's why we have 50 states. That's why we are a melting pot, the United States of America. That's why we have free speech, or we used to. But I'm going to be honest, I am pretty much wholly convinced that the only way to ensure every vote counts moving forward is to revert, well not revert, we never really used it, we start using the popular vote. Let's face it, we're no longer concerned about slavery or suffrage. The whole reason why using a popular vote system wasn't established in the first place almost 250 years ago. And it's similar to the argument of people saying the Second Amendment, well, when they wrote that, they weren't expecting, you know, what was going to be our modern society with guns so readily available, the types of guns that we have. They were more concerned with trying to fight off the Brits if they came over to reestablish a monarchy over their people that had left England and European countries. That was why the Second Amendment was put into place. We no longer need that Second Amendment or we should modify it because times have changed. And while I do support the right to own a gun in the United States under our Constitution, I also agree that, yeah, they didn't see that coming and maybe there should be modifications made to the extent of gun ownership. But maybe there shouldn't. I don't know. I'm on the fence on this one because it all boils down to freedoms. If you're a guy who's a serious hunter and you own a shit ton of different weapons and guns and you go through your whole life never using one irresponsibly, why should shouldn't you be allowed to do so? That's a sticky subject, and we'll discuss that on another episode. Note to self. So finally, let's look at some of the very recent elections and how the Electoral College has played a part versus the popular vote. So we'll go to the most recent, the 2020 election. Biden won with 51.3% of the popular vote, Trump 46.8%. Yet somehow both of them broke the record on number of votes cast for a presidential candidate, which I guess makes sense because our population is growing as people continue to crank out babies. 
And we had 159 million Americans voting in 2020. Now, granted, that's only 66.7% of the voting eligible population. So a third of our nation didn't even show up to vote. They just kind of feel like it's pointless because their vote doesn't count. Maybe if we made people feel like their votes truly count, we would get better voter turnout. Or maybe if we gave them more options, more people would show up because their voice could be heard for a candidate that suits their ideologies, not just A or B, red or blue, liberal or conservative, Republican or Democrat. It's bullshit. Trust me, every two years, every four years, even presidential elections, I have to drag myself to the local voting place to cast my vote and be a good American citizen, even though I know it probably doesn't matter. And you can see how strongly I feel about this type of stuff. So imagine just the average American, let alone the younger generations. It's like, I'll let people decide for me. But looking at the 2020 election, Trump lost both by the electorate and the popular vote. And yes, of course, he said the vote was stolen, the vote was rigged, and pretty much his only dispute was with certain states, because those states and their electoral numbers could have flipped the vote in his favor by a small number of votes in the scheme of things, despite the fact that we know that on a popular vote level, he lost by over 4% of the population. So if you think that Trump contesting the election, saying it was rigged or unfair, he was trying to manipulate the system because that's what he does. He knows how the systems work and he uses them to his benefit, whether it's with the IRS and his taxes as a businessman, which I've discussed on previous episodes, or in this instance where he wanted to try and use the idea of the electoral college in his favor. The fact that that possibility was even there for him to dispute, well, that's a problem. If it had just been popular vote, January 6th never would have happened because he lost by a lot. All right, so let's look at those two recent elections where the Electoral College actually put a president in office that did not win the popular vote. 2016, Trump beat Hillary. No one saw that coming. She received 2.9 million more votes than Trump. However, he won with 306 electoral votes, only needed 270. So that's a pretty big win from an electoral perspective, despite the fact that 2.9 million votes, not that big, but still, she won the American public and their votes. And on election night or leading up to election night, you'll hear them talking about, you know, can we flip this state? They're trying to flip a state from red to blue or from blue to red. That should not be allowed. You can't flip an entire state. It's either a majority or it isn't. When you start using the Electoral College to flip states or to contest elections, you are now completely acknowledging that it is okay to ignore many of the votes out there because it is not based on your vote. It's based on this mathematical process that was established 250 years ago. And finally, the 2000 election between Al Gore and George W. Bush. George W., he won with 271 electoral votes just squeaked by. I mean, barely. That's one electoral vote more. However, 
Al Gore had about a half million more popular votes than George W. Bush. Now, you might say a half million. That's not that much. That's pretty significant. I live in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, and I'll tell you the horseshoe where the Ohio State Buckeyes play their football games, that fits, I don't know, around 100,000 people. That's a lot of people. I could not imagine five stadiums worth of people looking at each other and saying, my vote didn't count. Well, shit. That would suck. That would piss me off. So when it boils down to it, I mean, in my opinion, I don't expect you to have to side with me. I'm telling you my perspective and I'm giving you facts, data, math, whatever I need to do to try and justify my opinion, my perspective, so it doesn't sound like I am presenting my opinion from an agenda-fueled place. But I believe that the Electoral College is outdated and just another way to rig our system. And also, let's look at the fact that the Electoral College is pretty much geared towards two parties being the factors. What happens when independents want to be represented? Well, they can't be represented by the popular vote. They would have to really make a dent in order to get any electoral votes. Once again, being suppressed by a two-party system that wants to keep themselves in power and keep everyone else the hell out. Sorry, folks. Park's closed. The moose out front should have told you. If you are someone who votes, if you want your vote to actually count and every other U.S. citizen's vote to actually count, I believe, again, my perspective, that you should push for us changing things to be a popular vote, not the Electoral College, as I have outlined in excess during this episode. All right, thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. Please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to it on. I know, I ended a sentence with a proposition. Bad grammar, sue me. Also, let people know about it. If you enjoy it, you want to hear more episodes, that's going to motivate me even more to crank out content, content, content if I keep seeing that listenership rise. Also, don't forget, you can send me feedback, criticism, topic suggestions on social media, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Bad Red, Bad Blue. Until we meet again, be cool and stay awake. See ya. Bad Red, Bad Blue. Folks, park's closed. The moose out front should have told you.